0: It's kinda of like the word pick six. I don't that just like happened a few <laughs> years ago and now everybody says it. Watch, now the like ESPN is like pick six, pick six.
1: And when it doesn't happen they're like we could really use a pick six right you now. Totally, totally like
0: it's <laughs> just no one said that ten years ago, you know.
1: Welcome to Season 6, Episode 4 of Acquired, the podcast of... Uh, Ben, hey, um, I think you're on autopilot. (laughs) Yeah, uh, sorry, muscle memory. All right, listeners, we are coming to you in a time of enormous change and upheaval. The coronavirus has spread around the world, challenging global health systems, bringing economies to their knees, and changing daily life for everyone, seemingly overnight. Given this, uh, it just seems irresponsible to stay business as usual over here and put on our normal Acquired episodes for you all. So we're changing Acquired. For the first time ever, we're
2: taking a pause from normal episodes. The world doesn't need Acquired right now. People normally tune in to hear us talk about the stories behind great technology companies and what goes into building them. But these aren't normal times. What the world does need right now is stories of great leaders and how they and their organizations are responding to what might be the biggest moment of change we've ever seen. So we're going to take everything that we've put into Acquired over the years, uh, our format, our infrastructure, um, and the way we can reach all of you. And we're going to put our full weight behind this. So starting today, we're pausing Acquired and we are launching Adapting. Adapting is a series all about doing just that, showing leadership and changing to fit what the world needs right now, not what it needed last week. So with adapting, we're gonna take a shallow dive, a more <laughs> shallow dive at the beginning of each episode into the history of an organization, but our focus is really gonna be on the present and on the future, not the past. We also won't be grading. Adapting requires taking risks and putting yourself out there, and anyone who's doing that right now is
1: forever an A plus in our book. Yep. Yeah, David. Um, I think we were just talking about this, but I'm I'm excited about this. It just feels right in uh, in this moment to do this. Totally, uh, listeners. We are making some important changes to the acquired community. If you haven't joined our Slack, you can sign up on the acquired website and find all the announcements there. And we're doing some sort of new and uh, and pretty cool things in there. If you're not yet a limited partner, now is the time to join. In addition to LP episodes, we are adding a community component to the LP program. So last week, we had our first group Zoom call with everyone who's uh, shut in at home, and it was really fun and therapeutic to get to talk with everyone. So we've decided to make it a regular monthly thing as part of the limited partner program. So we'll be announcing more details on that uh, in the LP show. And in the meantime, you can sign up at glow.fm slash acquired by clicking the link in the show notes below. And lastly, David and I feel very strongly that money should never be a reason that a single person can't become an acquired LP. So we were talking about this beforehand, especially when introducing this new sort of um, community hangout component. If you can't afford a subscription, especially as we all respond to this pandemic together, uh, even if you already are an LP, just shoot us an email, introduce yourself, and uh, and we'll take care of you.
2: Yeah, we feel super strongly about this. Um, we want Everyone who wants to be part of this community to be able to. So shoot us a note.
1: Yep. For our sponsor this episode, we have Zoom Info. Zoom Info is an awesome business and product story that is totally in the acquired vein.
2: Totally. This is an amazing under the radar entrepreneurial story. Henry Shuck, the CEO of Zoom Info, actually founded a predecessor company back in 2007 called Discover Org from his law school apartment. They were dedicated to helping sales professionals find the right contacts at the right accounts so they could stop digging for prospects and focus on closing deals. And then in 2019, DiscoverOrg actually acquired ZoomInfo, another big player in the business
1: data space. Yes, they kept the ZoomInfo name and the combined company has grown way beyond just being a contact data solution. They've actually created this full stack B2B revenue growth platform on top of it. It is super cool. Zoom Info actually went public in 2020. They were the first real tech IPO after COVID hit, and they have continued to expand their product suite, and they've just done phenomenally well. It starts with the best business data in the world, whether that's company, contact, or intent data, and this data fuels Zoom Info's actionable insights, engagement platform, automated workflow capabilities, and so much more. It is the single best way for B2B professionals to find their next customer or close their next deal streamline their operations, and build the best team possible. And best of all, it is all in one place so your revenue teams can collaborate seamlessly and close deals faster.
2: So if you're in B2B and you're wondering, how can we drive more revenue and who's not? How can we find, acquire, and grow accounts that are looking for our solution right now? How do we make our sales and marketing teams as productive as possible? How do we automate our go-to-market motions to both supercharge our growth and save money? ZoomInfo is simply amazing. They now handle the full revenue pipeline from marketing to sales, even ops, all based on the number one ranked business data.
1: Yes, customers include enterprises like Snowflake, Workday, PayPal, Dropbox, Unilever, and thousands of startup and growth companies, 30,000 customers and counting. And here's something really cool. ZoomInfo is making their go-to-market playbook available for anyone to try for free, You want to find out how you can use intent data to target key prospects or how to revive a stalled deal by expanding your buying committee outreach. Head on over to acquired.fm slash ZoomInfo to see the ZoomInfo plays and just tell them that Ben and David at Acquired sent you.
2: Yes, definitely. And our huge thank you to ZoomInfo.
1: Now, what is today's episode actually about? Well, we are doing an episode on a topic that we never thought we would do on this show a local restaurant but it is so much more than that indeed <laughs> and we think uh, our guests words are are very inspiring and super important today so without further ado please enjoy our conversation with Mark Canless of Seattle's Canless restaurant all right listeners most of you are aware that restaurants are among those hit the hardest from our current health crisis Canlis is leading the way in adapting to provide a product in need, delivery food, saving jobs and ensuring the continuation of the business through trying, trying times. Many are asking as a city, country and a global community, can we do this? And uh, as Mark said in The Seattle Times earlier this week, hell yes, we can do this and we're going to do it with burgers and bagels. So uh, <laughs> to introduce Mark, I'm going to borrow um, a line uh, or a little bit of Mark's bio from the Canlis website because I find the the prose just poetic. Mark Canlis is the second of three sons. He grew up in a restaurant family. He joined Canlis in 2003 after graduating from Cornell University and serving as a captain in Air Force Special Operations. He met his wife, Anne-Marie. While opening, famed restaurateur Danny Meyer's fifth restaurant, Blue Smoke, in Manhattan. Returning to Seattle, Mark spearheaded the generational transfer and brand modernization that has garnered the family business national acclaim as one of the finest restaurants in America. He now owns and operates Canlis with his brother, Brian. He and Anne-Marie reside on Queen Anne with their three children. And as for Canlis, Food and Wine magazine has called it one of the 40 most important restaurants in the last 40 years. They have received 22 consecutive Wine Spectator Grand Awards and been nominated for 15 James Beard Awards and won three of them. Welcome, Mark.
0: Thank you. It's good to be here. I also have the luxury of when you write your own bio, you can kind of make yourself sound good. I hope I haven't inflated that in any way, but um, but thank you.
2: I was going to say the most important thing for for Ben and for me is I know uh, both of us have had many special memories at uh, at Canlis, so thank you guys. No, I'm honored to be on the show.
1: All right, David, take us in history and
2: facts. Yeah, well, so for anybody of our listeners who are in the Seattle area and probably many who even many who aren't, you already know a lot about Canlis. But Mark, can you give us a little bit of the history? I mean, it's a very, very special place. This isn't just another restaurant. Maybe can you go back and talk about your grandfather's story and Hawaii and Pearl Harbor?
0: Sure. You know, we, yeah, we're going to go all the way back. I run this restaurant with my brother, Brian, and we very much feel like this is the tale of a couple different grandfathers. It's the amalgamation of four generations of canlesses doing restaurants. Um, our great grandfather cooked for Teddy Roosevelt um, after his presidency on an African safari. I was picked up at a hotel in Egypt and invited to come along and be a steward on that whole thing for a year and a half. Um, so really it starts there. Uh, he and my great grandmother would um, come to the United States somewhere around 1909, 1910. They started a restaurant in Stockton, California um, at that time and had a bunch of kids. One of them, Peter Candless, um, started this restaurant, Canless, in 1950. So. Uh, that was my grandfather. He would pass away in the seventies and my mom and dad ran this, uh, for 30 years. Brian and I have now been doing it since 2003 and in so many ways we feel like we're just getting the hang of it. So slow learners, (laughs) um, but you know, more (laughs) or less a hundred years of
2: trying to cook for people. There's, um, there's a pretty cool military history with the restaurant and starting with Peter too, right?
0: Yeah. So then, on the other side of the family are a whole bunch of folks who have served in the armed forces, and that is uh, just continues to be uh, something that we're really proud of in this family, and, and something that we've many of us have chosen to do, and um, and represent. I think some of the sweetest years, at least for my own life, and I would say that the same is true for my dad and my grandfather and my brother. So uh, I was in the I was in the Air Force with Brian. Uh, dad was in the Navy My grandfather was a Marine for 43 years. I don't even think you can do that anymore, but back then you could. And, um, so we have, yeah, that's just been a, a part of our family story. And, and to be completely honest, a very large, um, influence on the way that we lead Yet last you know, yesterday, we're running this crazy drive through. We've got cars everywhere, shut down traffic and I get a, um, I get a phone call and I have hearing aids so the, the thing just comes like straight into my head. It's as if like the phone is ringing in your brain. So I just answered it because I thought it was our, our road team. And it was the Colonel that I worked for you know, 25 years ago, Colonel Whoa. Mueller and a man that just had such a remarkable influence on the way that I lead. And it was random, I haven't talked to him in years. And I was like, Colonel Mueller, no way. Um, I've been talking about you, uh, to everyone because I, in so many ways, I feel like you prepared me for this and, and not just, uh, it's not about adapting your company, but the leadership, I think, um, the, the way the military teaches you to, to prize your people is just, you know, I just learned so much in my, in my time in service. So that was, that's just been a gift to us.
2: That's great. So the first iteration of Canlis, the restaurant was on Honolulu, Grew out of the USO after Pearl Harbor, right?
0: You know, he left the place in Stockton. He'd grown up there and he wanted nothing to do with restaurants, the way his parents were doing. And he ends up in Hawaii. Um, he's selling dry goods. When Pearl Harbor happens, he remembers Zero's flying over. He was playing tennis in the morning. and um, Like everybody, like so many people in Honolulu at the time, they kind of all headed to the base and tried to do what they could. Um, my grandfather had quite a, a healthy self esteem. <laughs> Um,
2: just code for, you know, he sounds like an entrepreneur.
0: Um, yeah, there you go. That's the, thank you. Yeah. That's a nice euphemism for, uh, had a large ego. And at some point he finds himself talking a lot of smack inside the USO about the quality of the food. And the chef gets so upset that he kind of throws a towel at him and says, you think you do a better job. You, know, you try it, which of course he does. And by the end of the war, he's running all of the food on base, uh, for the USO. It's about kind of between 3000 and 5,000 meals. Um, so maybe in some way, uh, this drive-through is us getting back to our sort of, um, <laughs> I don't know, high volume roots, if you will, but, um, but that's what happened. And then right after the war opened a restaurant on a beach that was a little less known before the war and, and certainly then before now, uh, called Waikiki. So he had that restaurant in 1947, it was called the boiler. And then he came to, he came to Seattle in, in 1950.
1: And Mark, just to context that for our listeners a little bit, when you say getting back to our high volume roots, for folks not from Seattle, Canless is fine, fine dining. What does normal volume look like? And, <laughs> and uh, what does the adapted volume look like? I don't
0: know. I feel like I live in a bubble and I don't really understand the real restaurant business. But in the world of, okay, so let's just try to understand fine dining for a second because I think it's a funny term we consider fine dining just to be the most considered form of caring for somebody with, with food and hospitality. It's like, so, uh, for us we're considered to be a massive fine dining restaurant in the world of fine dining, you know, 12 to 15 tables is pretty standard. Uh, we have 33. Um, but on a busy night, the most guests we can serve is somewhere around 150 to 200. Um, I have 115 employees to make that happen. So, we are a model of inefficiency. And um, that's just six <laughs> dinners a week. That's all we're doing. So wow. I say that because like, I just want people to know just exactly like. And
1: not open for breakfast, not open for lunch. No,
0: no, 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 no. Yeah. 115 and, people to figure out dinner.
1: And there's always, if not, maybe there's like a couple hours a day where there's someone not there. But when you talk about that 115 people, it's like 2 a.m. to bake bread or something yeah, four all the way for hours
0: a day. We don't use our kitchen. So it's 20, it takes us 20 hours to, to, to open for what is essentially five hours of, of dinner time service. Uh, so a lot of prep obviously goes into that. And yeah, sure, you're baking bread and, and, and setting things up. Sometimes it takes a couple of days to make. But today we served, you know, about 1,200 people through the drive through. Uh, we served about, uh, I don't know, somewhere in the range of 300 people for breakfast, uh, tonight we'll send a couple hundred dinners out for delivery. So it's a much different impact for us. And we're not exactly set up for it. So we're, we're trying to figure that out as we go. But, um, today was a day of rest for us. It felt so, um, every day this week, we've opened a new restaurant concept. Um, we started on Monday with a drive-through Tuesday. We added bagels and yesterday we added. At home delivery. So uh, today we were just sort of refining some of those systems again. And uh, it was kind of nice just to just to run them and see how we could tweak it.
2: So let's get right into, you know, this show is adapting. It's now 70 years that your family has run Canless Fine Dining. And in two weeks, really, since you started planning, you've thrown that out the window. And now you're doing these three different things. Like, can you walk us through when was the moment you realized that this was going to happen and you needed to change
0: a couple of weeks ago now my wife and i were in new york city doing something for the james beard awards and uh we got the news that seattle had its first case and we went back to the hotel and just sort of talking through like you know this thing's coming it's here it's here in seattle um and what does that mean you know, What does it mean for our family what does it mean for not just our marriage and our own children, but our extended family. I have parents who are in their seventies. Um, and uh, what does it mean for for the restaurant family, for the staff? And a couple of days later, uh, back at home, we had a meeting as a team, and we just said, "You guys, let's let's really think through this a little bit." Uh, while we were having that meeting, uh, King County or the governor—I can't even remember who it was—but someone official announced we had this live stream and kind of came on and said, "Hey, it's a much bigger deal than we thought." And, you know, it's like at first you just kind of have it's like the sucker punch to the system, you know, you've got the wind taken out of you a little bit. And then pretty quickly we realized uh, that it would be just as risky to do nothing as it would to do something really radical. And, um, if we were, if if we were going to live into our values, uh, then, you know, every once in a while, that really is probably going to cost you something. And in this way it was going to cost shutting down what was still a profitable business for the unknown of opening up three new ones. And and the only reason we're doing three is because again, it just took that many ideas to get all of my staff up to having all the hours that would have normally had. And that was the goal here. So, um, we started with the drive through, um, for those that don't know, we're a fine dining restaurant looking this direction. Um, but if you turn around, we're on a really busy road, you know, and that's not ideal. No one would plan that out these days. Um, but we just said, okay, what do we have? Like, what, what, um, starting with what do we have to be thankful for, and then what, what assets are at a disposal here? If we if we started from scratch, um, how would we play this? And um, we were—I remember watching the live stream. We we're all sort of huddled on the couch there, the team. There's seven of us on. This the is errands. all in the
2: first in this meeting. This is
0: like in the meeting, and uh, we do these like three-hour offsites, and we go to one of an, uh, somebody's homes. So we can like kind of feel what it's like to be welcomed into their home personally. So we're sitting on Marin's sofa and, uh, which is not seven person sofa. It's like a three or four person (laughs) sofa. And we're all kind of like huddled and watching this thing. And yeah, I think it just, it just hit us that like the game isn't up. Like, wait a second, this isn't over. This is just beginning. And I think we'd all gone in with this sentiment of Helplessness, if we're honest, maybe hopelessness. I think there was a, a feeling of, okay, I got to bat in the hatches. I got to hunker down. I got to, you know, and um, protect. Yeah. Protect. And that's a lousy strategy in a lot of things, soccer being one of them. Um, <laughs> it's like, you see it in sports all the time when when, a, when an entire team sort of switches to defense and loses their <laughs> offense, like suddenly you're like, ah, don't do that. Wait a minute. Like, keep playing your game. And for us, we're like, if we're going to keep playing our game, we just need to admit that the game changed. And the game now, currently today, this is two weeks ago, was no one understands the six foot rule and no one understands what is socially, socially acceptable. We don't understand if we should be shutting down schools and public places or if that is you know building a fear that right so this is happening so quickly but so we just said well today well, what what it, we so know, you right
2: know now, at that moment that like the game had changed
0: we just got the sense that it was going to yeah it hadn't yeah. yet but it was like the writing is on the wall and I think nobody wanted to actually say that out loud <laughs> But it felt that way a couple of weeks ago. And so.
1: Well, I can tell you from the outside, the way it, it sort of felt is uh, you made a more drastic move earlier than most places. Like, I think in the next week, a lot of places started trying to figure out what does it mean for us to do delivery. But I will say from the outside, the way it looked was. And frankly, part of what inspired David and I for this was, oh, my God, that was decisive and that was severe and extreme and risky like you, you know, you guys. I wish I
0: could take credit for that. Let me tell you where a lot of that credit belongs. First off, uh, we have an incredible board of directors and some advisors who are just uh, remarkable sounding boards for us. Um, Both of our wives were really key into sort of speaking into Um, how we we were perceiving the world. Um, And I think in this time, it was a a time of just great perception, trying to understand and make sense of what we were hearing, how it pertained to us and our team. Um, But really, when we launched this with the executive team, we said, you know, this thing could work. That's to say, there's a chance the boat is taking on water and there's a chance it might sink. And also, there's a chance there's a lifeboat on the end. Will, will someone just go to the end of the ship and see if there's a lifeboat? If that's kind of what that meeting felt like. And somebody came back and said, you know, it turns out there is a lifeboat on the back of the ship. Like, we could all get in it, right? And so, I was like, huh. So, <laughs> we up. sat on that as a team for about 24 hours. I uh, The next, I, or 48, then two days later, I was having dinner with our staff. And we're all sitting around having family meal, talking this through. And I just said, you guys, I, I, let me just tell you where my head's at. Um, and I'm scared to tell you, cause I don't know what it means, but this is what we're thinking about as a team. And, and it would mean all of you need to re volunteer to work here. They would mean all of you mm. choosing to be in a position, choosing not to be laid off or temporarily furloughed, choosing to actually continue to do this thing. And. Would any of you be interested and uh, not only that group of sort of five or six of us sitting around the table, but the next night in a staff meeting, announcing it to the entire team, um, this is up to you and you don't have to do this. And every one of them saying, we're in, you know, put me in coach. And I think that was just such a boost of encouragement to us is like, if you guys are in, we're in and let's do this right it had like that sort of sentiment to it It was like okay um why not and i think at some point you say to yourself in any time of crisis if i have the ability to help why am i not doing it and that is what it felt like to us it felt like this could be an encouragement to the city it was clearly an encouragement to the staff um and it was, for us, uh, just a way through. A, a way that, and, uh, an untested, untried way. But, um, I don't know, we thought we'd give
2: it a whirl. That's awesome. Cool. So I, I want to talk in a, in a sec about communication and language. And the language you guys use, and I've always, I've always used, but particularly now, is really inspiring. But before we get to that, can we go back to the three concepts you guys are doing breakfast the bagel shed drive-through lunch and then delivery for dinner where did they come from
0: there's also it's fourth a fourth concept, concept. A fourth concept oh. coming um, which i'm super stoked about but um yeah i can kind of walk you through all three of those the first one was uh the was the drive-through uh we saw that as being the biggest revenue generator um we have a ridiculous amount of labor here it's it's the most expensive thing and we knew that one of these concepts had to actually work and so it, we just i geographically if you understand the way this restaurant works you can pull right off of the street right under our port cochere. you can stay in your car and you can roll right on down the driveway and it was like that's what we knew we needed that the cleanliness there the ability to not have any contact with the guest um, but still sort of be facing them. And so, yeah, we were embracing our inner drive through as a fine dining restaurant. It was just like, <laughs> yes, yeah, this is us. Come on, let's just let it out of the bag. And chef can cook a remarkable burger. And uh, we've always joked about doing this sort of traditional salad bars, the canless salad as a to-go item. And like, yeah, why not? Like, let's just do burgers and ice cream sandwiches and salad to go. It's like, like, I don't know. Sometimes that's all you need.
1: Can you talk about average ticket price for each of these three concepts? Yeah, and sort price of how that
0: dollars. To- so you know what? We uh, have designed this thing not to make money. I think it's a little bit weird to be pro- uh, let's see this is a tricky this is a tricky thing. I don't think there's any unethical anything unethical about um making money in this time. I, 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 in a certain sense, we have a duty to do so. But mostly as a as a means of um, protecting the staff. And to be clear, I don't. I do, we're only four days in. I don't know if we are. That's to say, the bagel Concepts clearly does not make money. Um, it's labor intensive. Uh, we don't have the equipment to scale that in any way, such that we could we could move that to be a profitable business. Uh, we could raise the prices, but that just feels dirty. So the point again is is to keep people employed. So. Um, with burgers, we probably make a little extra with bagels. We're definitely losing, um, with dinner as we scale that up, that'll be profitable. And somehow if we can get to break, even, even from the onset, that's what, that's what the goal was, was like, it'd be amazing if for the next three months, Canlis could not lose money. I think that'll posture us really well coming out of this thing on the other side. And, and I do think of it as a few months, not just a few weeks. So, um, yeah, bagels came out of the idea of, well, we're gonna be really busy for lunch. Um, Our expediter happens to be this incredible woman from the Lower East Side of Manhattan. Uh, She's a baker, and and she makes a a ridiculous bagel. And Chef is from Brooklyn, and he he was like, that's the best bagel I've had in New York City or in Seattle. (laughs) We happen to have a bread oven and a shipping container, and it was like a no-brainer. So we just opened the bagel shed, and we're doing you know everything bagels with fried eggs and homemade sausage and um cheese and
2: can you sell the bagels as an add-on to dinner for like breakfast at home the next morning well we
0: that'd be a good idea we sell out of bagels in under an hour so it's a full-time crew of eight making these things and it lasts that whole idea lasts an hour so uh we actually thought about intentionally slowing the line so that because, again, the, the, the idea is to keep everyone employed here, but um, but no, we've been blowing through them too quickly. So we're, we're, right now, we're looking at taking over another bakery um, that is closed, and maybe we can use their space and kind of scale it up a little bit higher somewhere.
1: Yeah, I did see something. It was like a you had some message on your website this morning. Like, uh, unfortunately, bagels are sold out as of 8.37 a.m. Yeah,
0: yeah, they've been going nuts. So the last concept of just doing family meal at home, you know, we cook an amazing family meal for the staff. That's the meal that twice a day chef prepares for our team. And we always joke about, like, one of the best restaurants in the city actually being Canlis' family meal. Like, it's so good. The pastry chef is making cobblers and the bartenders are like making homemade sodas and chef is like, Hey, this is my mama's meatloaf. And this is like enchilada from Nico's and prepping prepping all day. And it's so good. And it kind of kills us that the rest of the city doesn't get to see what these guys are capable of outside of fine dining. And so we just thought, okay, well, that's a no brainer. Like, why don't we just keep making family meal? We don't need a big menu. Delivery is tough to figure out and it, to making a transition like this, I, I think if you can keep it simple, you should. Um, and so we offer one thing a night. Um, the very first night, it was A because we had all these dry-aged ducks. We're like, what are we gonna do with ducks? And more have a farm saying, are you gonna take delivery of ducks going forward? And we have right. a way to say yes. So um tonight it is a rabbit pot pie and glazed carrots and it's um i had it for lunch it's insane it's so so good so we just thought shoot we can bake all that stuff here pack it up throw a bottle of wine in it and my servers who used to take food from the kitchen to the table are now just taking it to the parking lot <laughs> and right on down the street a little way so um it keeps them employed and it keeps my kitchen cooking all night long and it's kind of been fun
2: that's so cool. How Technically, how did you make that happen? You guys adapted. You've been on Talk, the um, reservation and ticketing system, for a while. How did you, did you work with Talk to make this happen? The guys at Talk were awesome. We called them
0: early on, and we're like, we have this crazy idea, and we're actually trying to, like, hack the system. It's, so Talk is a reservation system, for those that don't know, and that, those guys are awesome. And we were trying to see if we like, could yeah, morph Chicago. the reservation system into a delivery system, and we just about figured out, and, they, they called like, you guys, stop it. Hold on a second. We can we can do this. Give us five minutes. Five minutes later, they called back and they said, we stood our company down. We're turning it back on. We just called everybody in. They're in Chicago. And we're just going to work on this so you have the platform. And they cranked it out, working around the clock for a couple of days, and we were able to launch. And so that is a mechanism that any restaurant in the country... Look, not everybody can do drive-through, uh, it's just the physicality of it, is, uh, the location is going to work for them. But any restaurant the company could do delivery, and now that we've got the software for it, it's just, it's it's not, you know, overtly tricky. Uh,
1: can you talk through any restaurant in the country can do delivery? I'm sure there's a lot of folks that, that own restaurants that are listening to this. What does that take?
0: It takes a little of guts. And it takes just that kind of good old fashioned restaurant scrappiness that every restaurant tour already has. (laughs) If you're in this business, I guarantee you have what it takes, because it's just it's just the same thing it takes to run a restaurant. It's it's that. It's a little bit of um of the willpower just to make it happen. That's I think what all of us are going through. So all we did was figure out a menu and we launched a website so someone that knows what to do on the internet that's not me Um, but our design team drew up a little logo which is not necessary Uh, we threw a little splash page on top of canvas.com which is also not necessary you could just post on instagram having to switch to delivery Um, So appreciate you supporting us doing this. You can do various versions of it. It's pretty fancy. Our servers have it all on their phones. They get the maps. They get the texts. We can do drop-offs, no-contact drop-offs. We can do alcohol. Again, talk made all that possible. But you can keep it really simple. I mean, it takes ordering some boxes and some to-go containers, coming up with one thing that holds hot really well, and letting your constituency know that tonight's a great night for takeout. So, yeah, we sold out three nights worth of takeout in about 90 minutes.
1: Wow. One question that I have that I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, and I'll give a little context for listeners. So, Canless is... Innovative, not just in the way that over the last 60, 70 years, you guys have changed fine dining, which we haven't talked about on this episode, but um, Mark's given some great talks that, that you can sort of read about and the, the evolution of fine dining and Canlis' role in it, but also in doing these wild experiments that you would not expect the finest dining in the city, to also have a Shake Shack pop up in the parking lot before there was a Shake Shack, or you would not have expected. But well, why the... would you? Let's,
0: let's right? just, can, we, can, we, can we uncover that a little bit? Do you mind if yeah. we dig into why you wouldn't expect a fine dining restaurant to do that? Yeah, definitely. One of the reasons that I think this transition has been um, possible for us is that we practice this kind of thing. And by that, I I don't just mean events in our parking lot. I mean, if you wanna be a restaurant that is around, let alone relevant or germane to the conversation, you're doing a fair amount of this every year anyway. People always ask Brian and I, how come you guys haven't opened a second restaurant? I'm like, oh, um, you just (laughs) don't know it, but we open a second restaurant about every 18 months. I would say that's how often the systems inside of Canless are changing. Um, and those are being rewritten by new employees and employees that have been here 20 years. Um, the idea is that there's probably a better way to do it than the way that we're doing it. I, we just kind of believe that. And so, um, I think if you want to matter, you need to earn that right. And to earn it, you got to be working all the time and opening a restaurant that's really good. And tonight we're good. Um, uh, tomorrow we'll be better and that's that's not news to anyone i think what happens i that's to say that's not a strategy that no one's heard before if you're in business you get it right and maybe thank you to the japanese who made that a very popular concept you know in the late 80s and 90s but like we're all sort of thinking that way what happens is it's really easy to get lazy um it's really easy to start to devalue that as the thing is working and of course if you if you go too far with that, maybe you're undoing things that still had a, a usable lifespan inside of them, right? So you hate to take a system down that would have been amazing for the next, you know, foreseeable future. So that takes a little, I don't know, sorting through. You got to be careful there. But welcome to business. And so it's a delicate balance, <laughs> right? So
1: and less listeners think that. Uh... You know, we're just talking about a one time thing opening up a, a shake shot. I Like I went to your restaurant last summer. And when I say restaurant, I mean parking lot for the Hawaiian Nights Luau where listeners, it's the largest hot tub you've ever seen. It's 24 feet uh, long. <laughs> It's And it's up on, like, a second-story deck overlooking, a, like, you guys opened a little pizza shop and, like, a multi-story, like, hangout. We wanted a swim-up
0: bar, <laughs> which we, which we, I think, we I think we created. And then we also had, so we built a couple of tiki huts and um had, yeah, we, yeah. Is
2: The story is, am I right, you bought the swimming pool on Amazon?
0: Well, no. So uh, for we like to test things out on staff parties. And the goal of a staff party is to throw one that the staff would willingly come to if they had no association with the restaurant, right? So if <laughs> you just said, look, you guys, it's a true day off or it's a true night off. Like, do whatever you want. And also, we're going to be throwing this party over here. And it's like totally like no expectation come. Only let me just talk about it. And so... Um, Anyway, yeah, at some point uh, we were throwing a luau. Oh, yeah, we had covered the parking lot in sod uh, because we were like, it's not cool to throw a party in a parking lot and cement and wouldn't it be cool if it's grass. So we sawed the thing over and we threw a volleyball party and we had a pig roasting. And somebody said at some point, well, every luau needs a beach. <laughs> so we like brought in sand. And then I went on Amazon and I'm like, no way, you can buy a pool for like $2,000. Well, that's cheaper than. You know, in the world of staff parties, the stuff adds up quickly. So anyway, we bought a pool and we filled it up. um, And then it just kind of like went from there. So then that was a really successful party. And we were thinking about fun things we could do over the summer. And we thought, well, why don't we just throw the staff party for the city? And honestly, you guys, I thought like a few hundred people would come. Like who goes to a parking lot to find any restaurant to hang out in a above ground pool, right? It gets... Yeah, like 1,200 people came at night. Like, it was nuts. And all of them waited an hour or two to get in. So that caught us by surprise a little bit. But it was also a ton of fun. I mean, a DJ on top of a shipping container and underneath your baking <laughs> the best pizzas <laughs> and roasting pigs. And I, you know, I don't know what happened out of there. But it was, it was it was tons of fun. So we do like to just sort of think through these things. And um, and I think it, it's a little bit of a good exercise. Look, just because we're fine dining doesn't mean we're not thinking of 99 other ideas to do and to us it's kind of like the formula one version of putting out a sedan it's like why don't we go push this as far as we can let's see what happens and every one of these projects finds its way back onto our menu every one of these projects influences what we believe about hospitality and you need that stuff you need to be inspired by it. your people you need to be inspired by it and yeah that's fun
1: so as we start to wind down here, that's, that's the question on my mind is, I know it's only been four days, but um, of the three restaurants you talked about and, and fourth that we'll keep under wraps for now, um, what do you think might make its way into Canless when we live in a normal world again?
0: Um, here's what I hope makes its way into Canlis. I hope that what comes out of this is a visceral reminder of how alike we all are. And if there's anything that I think we've learned so far, it's that our understanding of the human spirit is limited at best. And it's only when, when you come to me and say, Mark, I think you got this man. And when I reflect that back to you and say, look, Ben, um, you got this, right? Like that, that's, that's what happens. Something really powerful happens there. And The whole mission of this company, which is, I know, a really weird mission, but it's it's to inspire people to turn toward one another. And when we saw the disease spreading, and I am not talking about COVID-19, I'm talking about the amount of fear, the amount of discouragement, when we saw that spreading, and often for really good reason, this is not, these are not insignificant days. This is a good, uh, overused, but good word. This is unprecedented for the entire world to go through something together where no one gets to say, yeah, it doesn't apply to me, right? When something like that happens, I think we have a responsibility to remind ourselves of the truth. And the truth is we don't know what we're capable of. We, the Canvas team, we, the city of Seattle, We, the United States of America, we, the citizens of this rock that we're floating around on. And I hope that we understand that better on the other side of this thing. And um, that's what we're learning. That's what we're learning inside this building. I don't know if we'll, we might not be able to do this tomorrow. Maybe this will go for months. I don't know. But um, every day I tell the team, I was like, Hey, look, um, you're gonna wanna go home and crawl under your covers and read your phone, and it is important to do so. But when you wake up the next morning, you go outside, you physically go outside of your house, your apartment, you look up at the sky and ask yourself the question, is it still up there or did it fall? And if it's still up there, you can be thankful for that. And you start with what you're (laughs) thankful with. You say, all right, the sky did not fall, contrary to the way I feel having read all the headlines, It's still up there. I hear a bird tweeting. I see a neighbor walking down the street. You know what? Let's start with what we have. Let's go from there. And let's ask ourselves the question, if this is what I have, what can I do with it? And I don't know, maybe what we get out of this whole thing is that as a discipline, as a practice, as a reminder that, I don't know, maybe that's a reminder that we need right now. I think it's a reminder that I needed. I think it's a reminder that my Hmm. team needed. And I wish you could feel the difference inside this place before and after we made this decision. Before it was a feeling of helplessness and after it was a feeling of hope. Before it was a feeling that the, the, the overwhelming weight of this thing was too much. And after it was the understanding that I had a role to play and that even just enduring even just enduring a little bit might be my role. And I think when we tell those stories, then we start to remind ourselves the truth of who we are as people. And that's pretty cool. That's, um, that's why we wrote on that website, we got this Seattle. It was the most poignant way I could say to a city that needed to hear it, we are capable of making it through.
1: So. Well, I cannot think of a single better way to leave, uh, leave this episode and leave our, our very first episode of adapted. Um, and with that line. So Mark, thank you so much.
0: Thanks for, thanks for having me on the show.
1: Anything else you want to tell listeners or, or tell them, uh, you know, where they should go get some great food.
0: (laughs) I do want to tell listeners something. Yeah. I think they have the ability, even though it doesn't feel this way to make a difference. Uh, What we've been talking about here is my restaurant. And you know what you don't have? (laughs) You don't have my restaurant, and you probably don't have a restaurant. To dismiss this as someone else's story in a city that you don't live in, I think would be a great, um, what would make me sad. I think to hear this and to know that if we're crazy enough to give this a whirl, maybe, you know, maybe some of you're crazy is okay too. And I hope it gives them permission to think optimistically. I hope it gives them permission, um, to smile at a neighbor, keep it six feet away. I don't care. You can still smile at them. (laughs) And so, um, that's not insignificant. It's important. And it's going to take all of us remembering that about ourselves, remembering that that is who we are as people. So, this is a story about our country, and and largely, this is a story about well beyond our borders and how alike we all really are. So that's all I got, guys. Hey
2: Amen. Let's all go do not exactly what you're doing, <laughs> but do what we all can to.
0: You're all welcome to open to a drive-through. I'm you not got against it. it. I yeah. think competition only makes us better. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you're gonna have some steep competition. The burgers are pretty good.
1: <laughs> well, my, uh, it, is, it is on my calendar to come uh, um, tomorrow morning. I think hopefully around 7, 7.30 to the, the bagel shed and pick one up. Do so. it. Swing on through. Awesome. I'd love to see you here. Well, a huge thank you to our sponsor for this episode, Zoom Info. If your company wants to supercharge its ability to find, acquire, and grow customers while also becoming more efficient, it is a no-brainer to start using Zoom Info. And now they're making their automated go-to-market playbook available for free for anyone to try. Head on over to acquired.fm slash zoominfo to see this go-to-market playbook. And when you get in touch, just tell them that Ben and David at Acquired sent you. Thanks, ZoomInfo. Thanks so much, Mark. Um, listeners, we will catch you for the next one.
2: Thanks, guys. See you next time. Uh...